be clear on what it is that you want. Not just what do you want your professional life to look like, but what do you want from the whole of your life? When you can envision the working hours, the income, the home, the relationships, the schedule, just the energy that you would like to have, and you factor that into how you build your life, how you build your business, there's so much possibility. There are ways to create very different looking schedules, lives, relationships, all of that sort of thing. And if you can look at the whole and begin with the end in mind like that, I think you can find a balance. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Be Bold Begin. Hi, welcome back. This is Barcy, your host. We are talking about all things abundance right now. One, because I'm focused on this in my life right now, but also because as creatives, as healing artists, or those in wellness modalities, the reality of charging for your services or creations comes with some baggage, for lack of a better word, for a lot of us. And if this isn't a thing for you, then that's amazing. But I also feel like there might be things you just haven't acknowledged yet that could potentially clear your path even further to what it is that you want more of or want to bring bring in for yourself. So why is this? I have many thoughts about that. One is I think it is linked to imposter syndrome. I also think it's linked to a misunderstanding of the exchange of money being exploitive. Sometimes we think that or things related to that. I also want to quickly point out that when I use the word abundance, I'm only sometimes referring to actual money. Abundance can mean many things. Even the act of being creative can be a version of abundance in our lives that doesn't always seem appropriate to be creative. More on that because my guest today has a story around that that's going to help us kind of jump into this conversation. Her name is Fiona Valentine, and she is a painter, a business coach for artists, and the founder of the Business School for Artists. Fiona has an interesting life story, and as an artist herself who works with other artists, especially from a business standpoint, I know we're going to learn so much through this conversation. So, welcome, Fiona. Thank you, Barcy. I'm looking forward to this conversation. 
Me as well. I feel like we have a lot in common. Number one, we both kind of work with artists in a similar way. There's differences, of course, in our modalities, but people know me as a Kaizen Muse creativity coach. For those that know me in that space and on this podcast, they do. And I feel like a lot of your modalities kind of work in similar ways. And uh, we talk, yeah, and we talked about Kaizen a little bit before. So maybe that'll work its way in today. We'll see. <laughs> So the first question I have for you is really just one that starts from a very pivotal moment that you shared with me that kind of seemed like you had a realization around some shifts that needed to happen around your own creativity, but the story itself is pretty interesting. So I'd love for you to take us through kind of what led you to that point of space and time where this was happening and how you kind of noticed this to shift out of it, if you don't mind sharing a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, I'd love to. So as a new mum, I found myself living in a mud village in Africa. My husband and I were working there with nomads. And so in that context, we were encountering quite a bit of poverty, suffering, illness, you know, typical third world conditions that can be really confronting as a Westerner who hasn't grown up necessarily with a lot of that. And I think it's a completely new context to be thinking about creativity. I was really young. And in that context, I decided that my creativity just didn't have a place. And looking back, that seemed like a crazy decision to make. But I do think a lot of us face that whenever we're looking at suffering. So it might be a war situation. I think a lot of people are wrestling with this, looking at what's happening in the Ukraine yeah. or a situation where, you know, tragedy as the Philippines are grappling with. At those times, we're wrestling with all sorts of things. We're wrestling with survival, particularly if it's an extreme situation. But when it's not our extreme situation where we're not literally on the brink of survival mode, we're more observers perhaps or a little bit removed. It's a different situation. And I think that was the situation I found myself in and trying to figure out the place that creativity had in that. At the time, I just couldn't see it. It felt self-indulgent. It felt frivolous. And I didn't realize that actually it was key to thriving. And the women around me were enjoying their creativity embroidering clothes and decorating items in their house. They're very creative, mm. but I just wasn't seeing it. It took me quite a long time afterwards to really get back to uncovering creativity and not seeing it as an optional extra in my life, but seeing it as really core to how I'm made, how I'm wired, not just as somebody who enjoyed making art, but as a human, because you and I both share that belief that we are all creative. Oh, you said so many beautiful things in that share. <laughs> like just to start, like to work our way backwards. I completely agree. We do share that. And creativity, I believe, is a human quality. I actually think animals have that too. I watch my cat be creative and innovative to figure things out or create games for himself by himself all the time. So if he can do it, I know we can. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is kind of a fun way to notice and observe the environments we're in sometimes and allow it to teach us. But coming back to the environment you were in, I think a lot of us would have that same reaction or sort of default response to that situation. Yeah. And you mentioned that it wasn't till a while after that you noticed it was missing. What happened that caused you to kind of reflect or pinpoint that time and connect all of that and start to change things? Some of it was instinctive. Coming back to Australia after living in the desert, I was really excited to start a garden. 
So I grew a vegetable garden. Well, first I grew flowers and then we moved and I grew a vegetable garden. It was such a healing process for me, just watching things grow and planning the garden. And that was a beautiful outlet for my creativity. I also did a bit of quilting, but I was still struggling with the same mindset issues. Is this self-indulgent? And like, how do I think about it as a person who cares about the contribution I make and the way that I care for other people? And so this question just sort of kept coming up for me. And it wasn't until my husband, who's a theologian, he was really looking at the Trinity, which is a classic Christian doctrine that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we believed it, but we hadn't really understood it. And it wasn't till we were looking at it quite deeply together that it really unlocked something for me. And I saw that core to my identity was being made in the image of God. And that included being included in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As a believer, that's what we understand is being born again. It's having the life of God in you and being brought into this beautiful relationship. That knowledge just was like a light bulb moment for me because I realized, oh, wow, when I'm enjoying my creativity, I am being truly myself at a really, really deep level and I'm connecting with God. Mm. And that doesn't have to have words. It doesn't have to have a set outcome. It's not pragmatic. It's just a way of being the same way that I enjoy being with my husband. And we don't have to talk at times. We could be going on a walk and spend an hour together and not say much. And it's, you know, we're deeply connected. Mm. Once I saw that, I just felt so much permission to go, okay, now I get it. And I was able to prioritize creativity. And for me, I just dived into learning to paint and draw. Wow. I love how you were able to link that to your creativity because you could have linked it to lots of things. That sort of deep dive that you did in that experience of kind of really unearthing what those things mean and, and what they mean to you and how that relationship with spirit is supposed to be, or not supposed to be, but is formed and what it meant for you. So I can draw conclusions, which would be for me, I'm thinking, you know, spirituality is related to creation and we are, you know, co-creators is how I think of it. Do you feel like mm. that was part of the bridge or am I just reading into yeah. it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the fact that God created the universe and that we're wired to be like him. So we share that. And I think that's a deeply relational connection. I think it's why we find so much pleasure in, you know, just looking at the sky. I mean, I'm looking out the window now and there's a plum tree that's just burst into its first spring blossoms. We're coming out of a cold winter here and just the beauty and the creativity around us. We revel in it. I think it's definitely that we are co-creators. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I would agree. I think when we give ourselves that kind of permission, then really anything becomes possible in how we decide to use that power, if you will, that tool, that part of us that's always been there. So you mentioned gardening and I introduced you as a painter. Was painting always something that was part of your life or was that something that you came to during this time? I didn't have any artists in my family. But my mum did enjoy the arts. We travelled around Australia when I was really small. I think we left on my fourth birthday for a long trip. We ended up living in a remote community for about a year and a half. And on those travels, I remember my mum pulling out a sketchbook and trying to capture the cliffs or a tree in pencil drawings. And so that, I think, captured my imagination. I remember drawing farms in the backseat of the car as we were driving around and getting really frustrated because I didn't like what I was seeing on the page. I know now that kids draw symbolically till they're about nine, then they get interested in realism 
some, and if they get some help, some drawing skills, just like, you know, we need reading skills, then they kind of conclude, oh, well, I can draw. And if they don't, they tend to think, well, well, I can't draw. I was about 12 when I got some drawing instruction. And I'm so grateful that I did because it was really quite intensive. And I was able to realize that, oh, I could draw in a way that pleased me, in a way that I felt like, aha, uh-huh, I achieved what I was trying to achieve. And that's a real gift to be given that when you're young, because I think it's a lot more about skill than about talent to be able to enjoy and use your creativity. Ooh, so now I'm just from like a nerdy standpoint. Kind of, oh, we can geek out on this a lot. <laughs> kind of want to talk about it a little bit because it kind of feeds into like my neuroscience and psychology interests, which mm. you know, people that listen are also interested yeah. in those things. But you said something about symbolic drawing when we're children. Mm. What does that mean exactly, symbolic drawing? Well, the way that my grandma taught me to draw a cat a circle with another circle on top, little triangles for the ears and, you know, a little a little tail and maybe two paws and six whiskers. You've all right. probably seen that kind of cat drawing. Well, that doesn't actually look anything like a picture of your cat sleeping in the sun in the window. The shapes are completely different. So learning to draw your cat as it's posed in the sun, washing its paws in the window you're going to need a completely different set of skills. That's not symbolic drawing. That's realistic drawing where you're actually looking at real shapes and you're learning how to use perspective and color to give a sense of this cat in a real situation. So that's what I mean, sort of the cartoon figures, you know, with their hands stuck out like stars, that sort of symbolic drawing versus realistic drawing. That might be one of the most basic things to know about drawing, but I didn't know that. (laughs) And I wish I learned that at some point as a young person, because I immediately want to reflect back on how frustrated I would become with my own drawing and well, what? Because I wanted to do realistic drawing, of course. And Mm. I didn't understand like how to do that or why people were drawing shapes. And it just felt disconnected and I couldn't Mm. connect the two ideas as a child. So that description alone gives permission to at least have some understanding and allowing some space to have a certain process. The permission that it's normal to need someone to show you how to develop your visual language. Some of us learn to read by ourselves. I was one of those kids. I don't even know how it happened, but nobody taught me to read. I just figured it out at four. It probably helped a lot that my mother read to me quite often and I was exposed to books and I saw her reading all the time, but I didn't actually learn the mechanics. And so I didn't understand the way my sister was being taught phonics a few years later. It was a mystery to me because I'd never had that process. So I'm sure there are kids who learn to draw amazingly and it's a gift that they've got. It is talent. Yeah. But for many of us, that permission to say normally someone has to teach you how to do this. There's a visual language that you can learn like your ABCs. It's hugely permission giving. Wow. Yeah. Visual language. I love that phrasing. That's, I just like it. But yeah, that brings me back to also what you just said about learning things, talent versus a skill that we can learn. Yeah. Can you share more on your thought process around that or break that down for us a little bit? There was a study done by Exeter University that looked at Mozart and other geniuses and was asking the question, is this talent or is this something else? And they concluded that actually it had a lot to do with practice, environment, training, discipline, not just talent. Now, Clearly there's talent at play too. I've recently heard some research, I don't remember the woman's name, but it was excellent. She was talking about her observation that children who are talented, they have this desire, this hunger to master the craft that is not normal. You Mm. don't see it in other kids. 
they're very passionate about one thing and they just stick with it. And so there is a really special category of giftedness, but that's not even enough by itself. There's got to be an environment and support and help and training. And so for the rest of us who maybe aren't in that tiny percentage of highly gifted people, realizing that even for the highly gifted, training, practice and feedback are enormous. I think that's just such an empowering thing, but I certainly don't categorize myself in the highly gifted space. I know that about myself. That's not who I am, but realizing that you can learn skills and being blessed with people in my life who are able to teach me skills, I realized, wow, I can stop asking, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? And I can focus on where I want to go and learning the skills to get there. I think that's huge. And that's really impacted my teaching because I think a lot of people worry about the wrong question. The question isn't, do I have what it takes? The question is, will I do the work for what it takes? You know, Do I care about this outcome, learning to draw or paint or whatever, name your thing? Do I care about it enough to do the work to develop the skills so that I can do it really well? Mm, yes. I have a sort of an ironic comment about it because I was an actor first. That was my first craft, if you will, or maybe writing would be, but it was the first one where I did the most dedicated work. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a fraud because I thought I'd learned all the skills and didn't have the talent and was just tricking everyone into believing that I had talent. I didn't always feel that way, but there were definitely sort of this overall gaze that was going on in the background often. I'm realizing as you're saying that, that I often felt that way still, almost in spite of knowing that I had to work at it, but I had enough interest that I knew I could work at it. I knew I had the skill to work hard, if you will, mm. <laughs> or to, the skill yes. to acquire skills, you know? Exactly. Um, it is a skill. It's hard work. It's a process. Michael Gelb says that the most distinctive trait of highly creative people is confusion endurance. That's really that ability to push through things feeling like, I don't know how to do this. This feels bad. This feels hard. I'm never going to get it. I'm not good enough. Push through all of that and that complete overwhelm when someone is trying to teach you and the frustration that your results are lousy and yeah. keep going, keep going until you develop the skills. That ability, that's a toughness. Mm -hmm. And actually, even if you've got talent, if you don't develop that endurance, you're never going to make it the same way Olympic athletes are never going to make it. But it's not because you didn't have the goods. It's because you didn't develop the strength to persevere, to keep going, to be trained. And it's amazing how our brains come up with these accusatory half-truths <laughs> that try hey. to sabotage our creativity. And in fact, I don't even think it's our brains. I think our creativity is opposed and there's something outside of us that is opposing our creativity quite powerfully. And it's amazing the amount of resistance that we encounter when we choose to pursue it, our creativity. Wow. Well said. And I'm curious now about what you mean by things that are outside of us that oppose our process. Well, for me, I think it's a spiritual dynamic. I think there is a real opposition to anything that's beautiful and lovely and creative and anything that contributes to human well-being. And when we recognize that the resistance we may face getting over the inertia to turn up at the easel or sit down and write or practice whatever it is that we're practicing, when we realize there is a resistance and it's outside of ourselves, then we can do the work to push through it and not blame ourselves 
for it. Yeah, I think there's a zillion different manifestations of that, but just recognizing that it's real and it's got nothing to do with your commitment. It's got nothing to do with your passion for your chosen area. It's just a thing and you need to find ways to overcome it, to get yourself in the zone, to harness your motivation and keep going. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I think there's combinations, just personal beliefs. I think there's combinations of things. I think anything that's outside of us, we're a part of because we are all part of the same things. I think there's some connections there for me personally around you know, having, especially as an actor, right, you have to be able to embody all the things, which means we're capable of all the things in either dichotomy, right, in all of those directions. So I think there's this could go in a very like layered different direction (laughs) that we want to go in. But I love that you brought it up that way, because I do think that energies and with all the things that are going on are factored into our experience. They just are. And I love the permission in, well, okay, like with creativity coaching, there's often personification exercises we can do. It's like, all right, that's cool that, you know, fear is happening and you can kind of personify it and have a conversation with it. And it somehow makes it less, it brings it outside of your body and it kind of does becomes similar to like what you were just sharing about it being outside of us. And we can create more of that separation between what we want and what we don't want and how we can keep going. Are there any techniques like that in your practice or things like, how do you work with fear and imposter syndrome? And I know you work with confidence. I think that's a big part of a lot of this. Yeah. 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 And I think the confidence comes from the experiences, the multiple experiences that you've had. It's not like you really begin things with confidence, but if you've done something else where you've exercised creativity, then you do bring a confidence that, oh, I know that I've got the ability to learn something new. I know that I've got the ability to grow and develop. So you can come at something new with that kind of confidence. But some of the ways that I overcome resistance, probably two main ways. One is using simple routines. So just the rhythm of putting on an art smock, laying out the paint, putting on some music. Maybe if I feel like, you know, if it's cooler weather, I might want to light a candle for the nice aroma. Simple routines like that, putting on a particular kind of music, Mm -hmm. it can help me get in the zone. And I don't have to feel motivated to get into the painting. I just have to begin and I can put my apron on. I can put my smock on. I can light a candle. I can pull the easel over and, you know, set out the paint. And then usually what I do is sit with a notebook in front of the work and just I'll make a cup of tea and I'll give myself five minutes to sit there and say, okay, what can I see that needs work here? And by the time I've got three or four or five things on a paper list, I'm itching to get in Mm. and get started. So that's using routines really works for me because I struggle with the lack of motivation, the resistance as much as anybody does. I think we all do really. And that, you know, the natural rhythm, some days you may be busting to get out of bed and head into the studio and get started. Other days, just not so much. The other thing that I think is really helpful is to not expect inspiration to show up when I want it to, to know that it does its own thing. And often inspiration or what we call inspiration, I think is the way that our brain flips into a particular mode when we're more relaxed and it starts pulling from our conscious and our unconscious thoughts and taking all the different kinds of thinking that goes on in different parts of our brain and it makes new combinations, almost like a crazy quilt, and then just sort of offers them up as suggestions or inspiration. There's more to inspiration than that, but I think that's one of the aspects of it. And so wherever your inspiration's coming from, whether it's 
outside of you or whether it's a function of your brain in, in that particular moment. I think both are possible. When you learn to catch it when it shows up, then you can come back to it later rather than, okay, I'm ready to work now, but I'm, I don't have any inspiration. Well, if you've been paying attention all the way along, catching that inspiration and putting it somewhere where you can find it, which for some of us is an issue. <laughs> I had to make sure I was storing my inspiration somewhere where I could find it later. It wasn't you know, on six different pieces of paper in six different parts of the house, but in one notebook so I could go back to it. And recognizing inspiration is just a part of my working process. It's not going to show up when I want it to. That's a really big way for me to overcome resistance because when it's time to work, I go back to the inspiration prompts and I make a plan. And then, you know, I'm working through the steps of the plan. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking my language with the small steps and the habits and the feelings that come with those habits. They all sound like self-care habits to me as well, Yeah, which don't have a lot of pressure to do anything outside of the thing that you're already doing for yourself, which is, this is why I call it self-care. It's lighting a candle that feels like self-care and enjoying the aroma, like allowing that to be the only thing. If that's the only thing you get out of that moment, then you can check it off your list. Like that's something you get yeah. for yourself. And, you know, I do that with exercise too. I'll put on like an outfit to go work out and it's like, I'm just going to wear this today and see what happens. <laughs> Maybe I'll work out. Maybe I won't. But it's this idea of like, what can I do? What little thing can I do to set myself up? And in a low pressure sort of, like you said, I can do that. I can put on a smock. I can light a candle that feels simple and easy. And music is such a great key. I did that all the time for writing. It was the easiest way for me to get into that zone too. And soon enough, your mind is wandering or, you know, however we all connect to that type of music or that music at all, et cetera. So beautiful hacks. You said so many things there, but it can be tailored to anyone's experience. Like, what do you like? What do you like to do? What makes you feel good? And leading next to the other half of what you shared about inspiration and about, you know, being in the zone or being connected or whatever. It, it does flow a lot easier when we feel good. It just does. And mm -hmm. I will say that, you know, reflecting back again on my older processes or misunderstandings about my creativity is, you know, I thought it had to come from a dark place. I thought it had to come from, you know, difficulty and, you know, it was uninteresting otherwise, or, you know, whatever things we layer on that like shadow artist person, mm -hmm. <laughs> some of us feel more connected to, which is fine if you feel connected that way, or if you walk through it that way. I also learned that's totally fine, but it doesn't have to come through these negative sort of difficult times. It's much like inspiration. Like you just share, it's the same kind of thing. I think just having permission to say that beauty and joy matter. Yeah. I mean, it's even scientifically been proven that when we don't have beauty, we don't have joy in our lives. It's a problem. So this weird pervasive idea that's floating around out there that somehow it's twee, you know, joy is somehow twee or beauty is somehow corny or less and that it's the dark, the dramatic, the even ugly that's more meaningful. Right. I just, that doesn't resonate with me at all. And that's fine if that resonates with somebody else, but that is not me. And I was quite shocked because I came to the art world later and I didn't come through a university pathway. I was just going on my merry way with my perspective about art and beauty. And I kept encountering these really, to me, weird attitudes that almost sort of pat you on the head sort of attitude or the, oh, well, you know, I've moved beyond realism. Oh. 
Right. Now I know that was just arrogance and that's just a particular opinion thinking that its version of what art's all about is the only one, which is rubbish. I mean, clearly there's a lot of different perspectives. There's room for an enormous number of styles and preferences and there is very meaningful art that is sad or it's drawing attention to something that's really wrong and it's really confronting and hard to look at. But that doesn't mean all of our art is like that. There's a lot of painting that's very uplifting and healing and the context for those works might be really, really different. But I think just having permission that beauty and joy are okay, they're not less, is huge. Yeah. I mean, permission is the key word, I think, throughout our conversation so far is maybe it's the question of, you know, where aren't you giving yourself permission? Where are you not allowing yourself permission and where there might be blocks or there might be resistance or anything that you would like to get to? Where might there be more permission? And how can I give that to myself? And what do I need to help give that to myself? And it can be lovely small ways like you described, like you know, lighting a candle. I love that. I love these small steps. That was huge to me when I learned that. And it doesn't have to be this whole production of things that need to happen in order to make something worthwhile or to spend time doing creativity. It can be so simple. Yes. I don't know if you've ever read the book Solo. It's a book about working alone which a lot of us through the pandemic experienced. For me, that was a normal part as an artist where often, you know, you're in your studio alone quite a lot. That's the same if you're a writer often. And she talks about some of these things. It's so easy for us to sort of separate joy from work or separate Mm, free time, play from the important things that we've got to do. And when we don't separate that so much, I think it just flows better, as you said. Well, she talks about that a lot in this book. Uh, Rebecca Seal is the author. And really beautiful, simple things like having a plant next to your computer because the organic shapes and the movement of it is restful to your eyes and your brain. She talks about the research on an enriched working space rather than just an austere, lean, functional space. It's actually more productive. That's just how we're wired. Being able to choose our own art for our office leads to more productivity, which of course I love that statistic. (laughs) Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I love that that carries through in spaces that we might not be thinking about our creativity, like work or daily tasks, or maybe even just spending time with family. Sometimes we just forget that that, you know, sometimes that feels like a chore. <laughs> and like yeah. all of those little things that can have sort of this sparkle of joy and personality and have things that we love in the process or yeah. around us. Yeah. That's such a great reminder that we can integrate that, that we can add fun and joy to any part of our day, any part of our space and time. It's really important. I love that there's a statistic for that, which kind of brings me to, you know, you work with artists around business. So I love that. I think more people need you. <laughs> I love the the sort of intersection between the two things. But before we jump right into it, I want to get back to sort of your journey of how you ended up deciding to do that. Why help in this way as an artist? What brought you to wanting to help other artists? I know you like feel that you're a teacher at heart, but maybe it starts there. I'll let you share. Yeah, definitely. Like the graphic that says, we think success looks like a straight arrow, but actually it's, you know, this tangled mess of string and then finally we get there. That's probably a good way to describe my story. In painting for my own pleasure, I homeschooled my girls for about nine years and it was time for them to go to school for their sake and for my sake. We had a wonderful time, but it was over. (laughs) We were all ready for a new season. So they went to school and 
I got a job and I worked for a lovely company in admin, which has never been my thing. So I was really stretched outside of my comfort zone, but I learned so much and I did a diploma in business management while I was there. And I started realizing, oh, there's all these things I just, I know as an adult, as a parent, as a human, as a teacher, and they're part of management too. Well, that's interesting. And then I got to the point where I just wanted to be home painting. So I started thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make a living as an artist? And I got some advice and some of that advice was very challenging. So teaching is a great pathway. Well, that suited me fine because I'm a teacher. So that's what got me into teaching painting classes. But then as I went along, I started observing myself getting more excited about how to teach color theory and how to teach design and all of these things about painting not just for, okay, I wanted to learn that because I'm so excited to finish this painting I'm working on. And I was kind of curious about just observing that in myself. And as my classes grew, I was working with kids and with adults. I started to see a lot of my students stepping into having people wanting to buy their work and recognizing the journey I'd been on to give myself permission that it's okay to charge for my paintings and that the sales and marketing skills are part of it. As I had learned that for myself, I started passing that on to them and watching them step into their dreams was exciting to me, but I didn't have enough time with them. So I started luxury art retreats so I could have a small group of women for three days in a beautiful country hotel, all the meals served, no family needs, just to look at their creativity and just kind of fan into flame those dreams that they had. And in fact, one of the artists who was there, she's now in her first year of being a full-time artist. She's walked away from her teaching career and she set up her website, hired a studio, and she's booked her first solo exhibition at a gallery in our city in Melbourne. Very exciting to watch the growth of her dream. But really at that retreat is where what she'd been learning in the night classes, what she'd been thinking, all just sort of gelled together as, wow, this is possible. Mm. That really was very exciting to me. But then, of course, COVID and luxury art retreats, just not a possibility at all. So the other thing that I had been doing was coaching one-on-one and helping artists do the same thing. So I focused exclusively there and that's where I just found all of the things came together for me. The things I'd learned as an artist about making art and selling art, all of the mindset things we've been talking about and helping artists really learn the sales and marketing skills because I grew past that, oh, selling art's really hard. You're going to need to teach to make it work. And I realized, okay, where I'm getting this advice from, the whole online aspect hasn't even entered into. This is dated thinking here. And the internet has opened up this huge opportunity for artists to sell their work online, to be artist entrepreneurs. And so I'd been learning that in trying to grow my teaching through courses and coaching. And that was just bringing a whole new skill set to artists. So all of it, just long story, kind of came together to mean that for me, teaching artists about business and online selling and just building a whole ecosystem to connect them and their customers was just so exciting and fulfilling and just felt like, uh aha, for me, this is the sweet spot where all these things come together, all my passions come together and who I am is making a contribution in a way that just feels really fulfilling. I feel all of that as you talk about it. If it does feel like your sweet spot, it feels like something you're very passionate about and really, really love and enjoy doing, especially the story of the woman is you're watching her grow and live and transform into the person that she wanted to become when you met her, it seems. It's really Yeah, special. it's such a privilege to be part of that journey. Yeah, it's so special to watch those things happen. Ah, I love that. And I think when we allow 
a space to help others in this way with their own abundance, then they can do the same. It's like a trickle out effect is what it feels like to me. It's, you know, we help empower others. Now they can go do empowering things that then help others. It just gets bigger and bigger, which is what's so beautiful. Yeah. So when people come to you, can you share just like, what are the first things that you need to kind of help them understand about where they are and how to get to that next step in your process? I start with three questions to help them get clarity. One is how much time do you want to spend making your art and running your art business? How much money do you want or need to make? And what do you really love to create? And then where those three things intersect What's the highest value offer that you can create? Because there are buyers at the bottom of the market and the top of the market, but it's a lot easier to sell $25, $3,000 products than $3,000, $25 products. So giving them that permission that whatever you choose to focus on, your focus area, there are enough buyers out there. Your job is to tell your story and make a way for them to connect with you. But let's start with who you are what you love, what your interests are, what your limits are time-wise, what your money goals are. And that's going to bring so much clarity to the process. So then we talk about specifics on pricing and how to take all the things you could do, all the things you're passionate about and know which ones to say yes to and which ones to say no to because it just isn't time to do everything. Yeah. Oh, wow. Both of those exercises are so powerful and they feel abundant. Like hearing the first steps that you just shared about, you know, focusing on a few things that you can sell at a higher ticket price for those that are willing or wanting that level of art or whatever it is that we're creating versus 6,000 trinkets, let's say, or something small that we can sell at a lower price. That energy feels so taxing to me, just even thinking about it. It's like, oh my God, who has the time for that? And how are we going to do that? And I like, I, (laughs) I can feel the difference between the two. So it's also so practical to start in that place where it's like, oh, there's just these three steps. And then I can just go from there. Like I make a decision and then we start seeing what that decision looks like in its next form, its next step. So Love that. I love that you start there. It puts someone in motion right away. Is what exactly. I and they're in motion around the highest contribution, not feeling like they have to sort of slowly work their way up to it because they're not feeling brave or, you know, the imposter syndrome's kicking in or they just don't know how to do it. They're going straight for the good stuff. Yeah. And truly the exercise with someone like you holding space for it is permission in itself where you go, oh, if this is part of your process, you as the business coach, the instructor, then this must be something that people do rather than like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to ask for more than X and you know all of these things we come up with for why yes. we don't do those things. Yeah. yeah, plenty of guilt and shame. And that just seems to appear all by itself quite naturally. And if you can yeah, get that permission, have someone in that space giving permission. I think that's powerful. I needed that. Just like with a visual language, I needed someone to show me the ABCs of drawing and it unlocked things for me or the how-tos of painting like the masters. We need someone to help us with developing a sales language and a marketing language and to have permission for that and a business planning language. We're not just born with that knowledge innate. These are learned things. So having someone to give permission to say, there are enough buyers. There are people at the bottom of the market, and the top of the market. Why not go for the top of the market? Because it's the last to drop out in a recession. 
And right. Yeah. We're not trying to strong arm people into buying our art who can't afford it. So your ideal customers are those who can afford as well as those who love what you do. Well, that really helps you get focused and tune out a lot of potentially shaming messages about, oh my goodness, you're so expensive. Or that's just information. They're just telling you, oh, okay, you're not my ideal customer. I can just bless and release you. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Right. And sometimes that information is for themselves. They're noticing things about things they want to change usually, I, I think. Yeah. Which is interesting to think of it that way as the artist. Like, oh, okay, they're just learning through their process too. Yes. Yeah. What about the artist? I'm asking this because I know some people in my life that are struggling with this in I just want to be an artist. I don't want to do business. I don't want to do that part. So how do I just be an artist? <laughs> how do we help with that? Well, you have some choices. You can either work for somebody else or you can work for yourself. So if you want to just create art and you're not connected in any way to selling that art, then you're likely making a choice to not have an income. So is there something else that you would like to do to supply your needs so that you can enjoy your creativity? Or would you like to find a way to combine your creativity and extend that into the sales and marketing side so that you can make an income? These are choices that you have. And perhaps you have a gallery who will do that for you already. Mm. But if you're going looking for one, owning your own artist entrepreneur status and having taken steps towards that makes you far more attractive to a gallery. In fact, that's what happened to Kate, the artist I was talking to you about before. She followed my advice and she just did her own thing, set up her own website, created her own series, did the work she was most passionate about, presented herself professionally. Then when she approached a gallery, they loved the maturity that they saw because she was taking responsibility for herself. And if a gallery closes, when you've stepped into yourself as artist entrepreneur, you're independent and you have a way of connecting with your collectors that doesn't disappear if a gallery closes. So you may want to entrust that whole side of things so you can just create, but it does leave you vulnerable. So that's something to factor in. So when you start to see the possibility that, okay, well, what if I extended my creativity to how I tell the story of making my art? What if I built a business that ran efficiently? That would mean I could create four bodies of work a year. I could share the journey with my collectors. I've got them on my email list. So it's a simple matter of sending an email to say the collection's opening next month and you've got first access as my subscribers. That process can be learned and it doesn't have to take over your whole life. So it's just a choice. Mm. One, I don't think you want to work without any income, unless you have someone in your life who's paying the bills, income's probably a reality of your life. So just how do you want to meet that need? Do you want to do it alongside your creativity or do you want to go out and get a job doing something else? Because the reality that somebody's just going to find you and do all this for you, that happens for a very few artists. So I would encourage you to concentrate on the things you can control, not hoping for something that you can't actually control. That's a wonderful answer. Very full. You covered all of the bases, which is wonderful. It's true. It comes down to choice. We always have a choice. So I appreciate that way, that perspective of answering that question. There's so many ways <laughs> I could continue because we've gone in so many directions in a beautiful way. But with that said, I'll ask you from everything that we shared, what would you like the biggest takeaway to be for someone who's listening today? Be clear on what it is that you want. Not just what do you want your professional life to look like, 
But what do you want from the whole of your life? When you can envision the working hours, the income, the home, the relationships, the schedule, just the energy that you would like to have, and you factor that into how you build your life, how you build your business, there's so much possibility. There are ways to create very different looking schedules, lives, relationships, all of that sort of thing. And if you can look at the whole and begin with the end in mind like that, I think you can find a balance. And for women, I think this is really important because there may be a season in our lives when we're mothers and that changes everything. And knowing that you can be creative and you can build a creative business that can flex even for the extreme flexibility required of motherhood, it's possible. So whatever you would like your life to look like, I would encourage people as a takeaway to look at it as a whole. And I hope people take away permission from today that you have creativity both in your making and in your business potential. So go for it. I love that. That makes me excited. I want to go do something now. (laughs) Yay, exactly. (laughs) It's very motivating. Thank you for that. Yeah, so how can we connect with you if there's someone who is listening and is like, all right, sign me up. (laughs) You can find me at fionavalentine.com and you'll see my programs there. You'll see a free guide on how to start selling your art that talks about some of the things we've talked about today, the questions to start with. And you'll see also that I have a 90-day coaching program, the Business School for Artists, where I teach the Profitable Artist Method, which is my step-by-step sales and marketing process for creatives to be able to sell their work online and connect with people who love what they do. You can also find me on Instagram at Fiona Valentine Artist. Wonderful. And I know we talked about painting and I know you're a painter and we talked about galleries as well, but does this apply to someone who might not be a painter or who has a different sort of modality of expression? Yes. Many of the principles are the same. There may be a few tweaks if you're working in a different medium or a different kind of business. I'm actually going to be a speaker at an virtual retreat coming up in September. And that's for women who are building all sorts of businesses, particularly online coaching and courses, those sorts of businesses. And many of these principles there are at work. And I'm speaking on creativity and how for the 50% of people who haven't already identified that they are creative, just how this whole thing works, just telling my story and helping people see how their brain works and how they really are creative. So if you're in a completely different field, maybe in the coaching space or things like that, many of these principles work as well. It's basically sales and marketing that we're talking about and doing that in a way that's authentic, not icky. We love authenticity here. It's all about that. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, that's exciting. We'll have to add that in the show notes too, so that people can attend since it's virtual, right? Yeah. And it's a free retreat. It's going to take place in a Facebook group and it's specifically designed for moms who have a crazy schedule because, you know, well, kids. And so everything's pre-recorded. So it's a protest really at the way online summits are usually done where it's just a fire hose of information and you're exhausted and you're overwhelmed because you couldn't possibly implement it all. It's just bite size. Okay. That's encouragement. I'm glad you said that because I often feel just the way you just described at a lot of these things where it's just a little too much. So, and I don't Mm -hmm. have kids unless you count my cat, (laughs) but still it's just life, isn't it? Yes. It's just the nature of the way I also absorb information. It doesn't really work out for me that way. It's nice to have it on demand and be able to go back and pick and choose. Definitely. Wow. Thank you so much for this conversation, for sharing about your life and a little bit about how you work and what brings you joy. And yeah, just thank you so much for spending this time with us. 
Thank you, Marcy. It's so lovely to talk with you and to talk with your listeners. These are topics that are dear to my heart. Thank you. Thank you for listening to People Begin. We hope that these episodes are helping inspire and empower you to take your next steps towards whatever you're thinking of creating. And if you want more tools, resources, and techniques for your creative process and to connect with me directly, then I'd love to invite you to our Unleash Creative Community. Just follow the link in the show notes and I'll look forward to meeting you there. Happy creating.